You are listening to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. Welcome to the broadcast. Today, we have the pleasure of meeting two guests, Gia Wirtz and Jeffrey Deskovic. Gia is a documentary filmmaker whose short film, Conviction, has been shown at several film festivals and is now on Amazon Prime. Gia is a graduate of the New York Film Academy. Her film centers around the case of Jeffrey Deskovic, who was wrongly accused of killing a classmate when he was 16 and she was 15. He served 17 years behind bars. In 2006, he was finally exonerated. Jeffrey will be sharing his experiences in prison and post-conviction in our next podcast. Gia is with us this week. Welcome, Gia. Thanks for having me, Harriet. You're very welcome. How did the idea of a film about Jeffrey come to be? I recall in our pre-interview conversation, you told me you listened to the popular series Serial. Was that podcast the catalyst? You know, it was. The only thing that happened prior to that is when I was, you know, maybe 20 years old, I had read Reuben Carter's book, The 16th Round, and watched the movie The Hurricane. And for some reason, you know, I was really young, and it just struck a chord with me, and I couldn't shake the thought of how horrific it is for somebody who's innocent to have to go through this ordeal and be not only wrongfully imprisoned, but have the world believe that you could be this horrible monster that could commit these kind of crimes. I almost thought that that just that belief that other people would have about you <clears throat> in your mind would might be even equally as bad as being physically in prison because it's just, you know, you couldn't, you can't get out of that. It's just in people's head and that's what they, that's what they think of you. And it just really, really bothered me that thought. And so wrongful conviction had always been in my mind and I'd been passionate about it. But like most people, I didn't know what I could do to help. It seemed like such a huge problem with no solution. And, you know, being one person, you can donate money or you can volunteer, but not much more than that. And then it came to, well, in my mind at the time, that's what I thought. And then in 20, I think 14, Serial came out and I listened to the podcast and I had that same kind of gut feeling about people who are wrongfully convicted and wanting to help them. And so I organized a fundraiser for Adnan Syed, the subject of Serial. And it was the first in-person fundraiser done for him and did it in New York City. And we just had some local bands um, perform. We sold tickets. Um, I had created the free Adnan t-shirts and we sold the t-shirts. And we raised a few thousand dollars in one you know, short little night. And that was kind of the beginning of what got me thinking that I wanted to do more. And uh, so fast forward, to after, the, after the fundraiser, I got to know Adnan's family really well. And they're great, great friends of mine, even till this day. And so I happened to be at Adnan's post-conviction hearing, and there was a camera crew filming there. And um, the family ended up telling us that there's a camera crew because they're filming the documentary, the, uh, the HBO doc, The Case Against Adnan Syed. And in my naive mind, having no film experience whatsoever, I saw these three people roaming around making a movie. And I thought, hey, if this is all it takes, you know, I got three friends that I'll do this with me. So let me make a movie. <laughs> and uh, so long story short, I enrolled in New York Film Academy. And I went in there with the intention of making films about people who've been wrongfully convicted so I could help spread 
uh, message and help raise awareness. And the only person I knew in real life that had been wrongfully conv convicted was Jeff. And I only knew Jeff because a mutual friend introduced us when I was doing the fundraiser for Adnan. And Jeff was a speaker at my fundraiser. And that's how we met. Mm. And so he was the only person I knew. So I approached him to ask if he'd be interested. All right. Now I, I have a question. Um, what is it about the issue of wrongful conviction that kind of grabbed you? What, what was that? It was just the injustice of it. Uh, you know, like I was saying, it, it it's just the nightmare that it would be to have everybody believe that you're this horrific, you know, criminal when you're not. And that, that is a punishment in and of itself. And then you're also put into prison and your whole life is taken away from you. It just seemed uh, unfathomable to me how people can go through that and, and just get through life and... Yeah, the injustice, that, that is exactly, of course, what um, has gotten to me. Uh, more, more not, not so much what people think of you, um, but the horrible uh, removal of your freedom, which mm -hmm. can be removed so fast and in, in a flash. And it, certainly Jeff's case illustrates that. Um, you refer to serial. I don't want to assume that people know what that is. Can you just tell us real quick um, what was that? Yeah, serial was the NPR podcast that kind of brought podcasts on the map, I would say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it told the story of Adnan Syed, who was a 17-year-old boy in Baltimore in high school. And his ex-girlfriend, Heyman Lee, was unfortunately murdered um, and she was also a student at the school and when the detectives started to look into the case I you know in my opinion and if you listen to other podcasts about it, it's pretty evident that they did not do a good job in their investigation and rather they found someone that they wanted to pin it on and had tunnel vision and then they pinned this murder on Adnan based on actually uh, not factual evidence and uh, some junk science as well to do with cell phones and unfortunately, he got convicted and has been in prison for uh, over 20 years now for this crime. And they still haven't found the real killer. And Hayden and Lee hasn't gotten justice, obviously. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, so many people have listened to that particular podcast, but I, you never know uh, the people listening today if they knew about it. So thank you. Sure. That. Thank you. Um, so why... Um, did you choose as your format what is called a short? Uh, it's 20 minutes, not a full-length uh, documentary. You know, the only sole reason for that is because I was in film school when I started making this film. And the professors, I was really lucky to go to somewhere like New York Film Academy because the professors there, um, Claudia worked on the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary. Bob did Free Solo. And there's just so, the professors there are just of this great caliber of people to learn from. And they are the ones who had said that a good way to enter into the film industry is to make a short and submit that short to festivals because festivals, because purely because of the length of the film, they can schedule more of them in 
their hour blocks, they can do three films in one hour instead of a two hour film, right? So you have a greater chance of getting in. The chances are already so slim. Mm. Uh, film festivals accept less than 1% of films that are submitted to them. So the chances oh. are already so slim. I didn't and know so, that. yeah, yeah, it is. I didn't know that either. Very competitive. Um, Yes. After we got into our third festival, I ended up reading some papers and some research on film festivals. And that's when I learned that less than 1% actually get in. And I'm glad I didn't know that in advance because I probably wouldn't have submitted my films. <laughs> but that was the sole reason is because it was a, I was told by experienced filmmakers that that was a good way to enter the industry. Hmm. And from start to finish, how long a project was it to, um, complete the film? You know, I shot and edited for about five months and six months after I'd started filming, the film was in film festivals. Hmm. Wow. That was, is that um, typical or not? Not at all. I've been told. Really? <laughs> I've been told it's not typical at all. Yeah. Because I started filming in film school. So the first two months I was in film school. So it was only four months after I finished film school that the film was in festivals. And, uh, you know, now we've been in 12 festivals and we got three awards. And um, as you know, we're working on the feature length doc. So it just really took on a life of its own. And I think that's um, not only because the film is compelling, but, you know, Jeff's story and just everything that he's been able to accomplish and what he does with his life is so remarkable. And that comes across on the film, in the film, obviously. It certainly does. Um, where, when you do a film like this, um, how, how do you know where to film? Um, how do you set it up? Tell us maybe if you can more about the, because uh, I don't, I don't want to get into too much of, the story, I want uh, Jeffrey to tell the story, but if you could um, tell us about maybe the mechanics of how you do this kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It takes a lot of uh, research up front. So, you know, I read all about Jeff's case. Um, I think every article that's ever been published since mm -hmm. this occurred in 19, I believe, 89, um, 89? I might have got that year wrong. But yeah, um, I read everything I could about Jeff's story. I had numerous interviews with him where I asked him questions. I got um, a hold of as many people as I could that were involved back then at that time, um, whether it be the lawyers who who were instrumental in getting Jeff out or the intake worker who first saw Jeff's letter when he sent it to the Innocence Project, uh, his mom. I mean, I got to talk to so many people and get their points of view. But really, it's all about it's all about research and then identifying who the key players would be that you would want in your film and what you would want them to bring to the film as far as what aspect of Jeff's story would they be best to tell and then you take it from there and then it's a lot of watching and re-watching the interviews and taking out the sound bites you want and and clips and editing it all together now who does the editing do you i did yes is that typical when you uh, are directing or making the film is is it sometimes the case that you also do the editing or does uh, someone else generally do it um, generally, I would think somebody else does it. You usually hire editors, but a lot of independent filmmakers do a lot of their filming and editing just because of a budget issue or, you know, what have you. Um, but I am going to, for the feature, work with an editor. I'm editing half of it. I'm having an editor edit half. And so we're working together on it just because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of hours to edit a, <laughs> edit a film. But I really liked editing it because you have control over 
the flow of the story. The editor is really the person who crafts it all together. Now, in terms of, of the film itself, I did see it, of course. Um, why did you, did you think of filming inside the prison or is that absolutely not uh, allowed? Yes, I did. And that is the one where I'm only missing two shots for the feature length film to be complete. One of them is shooting inside prisons. And we were about to get to that shoot when COVID happened and the lockdowns came. And so all the prisons got shut down for all visitors, journalists, filmmakers, even visitors of family members they can't visit. So uh, unfortunately, we haven't been able to get inside a prison. Although if you recall, in the film, there are some shots of um, inside Elmira. And that is, I got those um, kind of archival footage from someone who had shot there previously and uh, kind of licensed it from them and got their permission to use those shots because I wasn't able to get into a prison. So I haven't done that yet. Where where was he for most of his incarceration? Oh, oh goodness. You're going to have to ask him. I know he was in uh, Shawagunk, Elmira, and Sing Sing, but I don't remember the time frames of each. I see. Yeah. I I should ask him that, right? Yes. Um, is there anything that um, our listeners might like to know about the experience of filming something like this uh, that you would like to talk about? Yeah, you know, for one, I, I jokingly say to Jeff all the time that he's a filmmaker's dream because mm-hmm. Jeff is the type of person that you can ask him a question, you can ask him something that normal people may shy away from talking about, or they would be just too, it would bring up too many um, bad memories or bad feelings or to be too stressful. And Jeff can just talk about these things as if you asked him, you know, what he had for breakfast. Mm. And while that's a little bit alarming at first, when you are talking to somebody and they can talk about such serious things with almost no emotion, it's also very nice to be able to discuss any topic and it's no holds barred and he's open about everything and anything. Um, You know, only one time in the years I've worked with Jeff now, did he say there's only one topic that I I would rather not discuss. And other than that topic, there has been not a single thing that he's not willing to talk about, whether it be uh, times that people tried to kill him in prison or what it was like to live in solitary confinement and what it's like to be 16 year old in in a maximum security adult prison where there's dangerous people there. Um, And, and, you know, one thing that really sticks out to me is one of the reasons the detectives narrowed in on Jeff, one of many reasons, but one was that he was overly emotional at Angela's wake. Angela is a woman who, the girl who was murdered and they, they took that as a sign of guilt, that he was feeling guilt for what he did. And that's why he was crying so much because he didn't know her very well. He didn't know Angela. She was just an acquaintance. He'd spoken to her, I think, a couple of times, maybe at best. And when I look at it from the outside looking in, it's so heartbreaking because that just shows me that Jeff was the most sensitive person in the room. He didn't even know this person. And he was crying because somebody had died. And that really affected him. And he took it to heart. And then these detectives looked at it as if he's a cold-blooded murderer. And that juxtaposition and just the injustice of that just bothered me so much. And then to think that that soft-hearted person was put in an adult prison and had to survive amongst, you know, hard criminals and adults, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, absolutely. It certainly is. Uh, you know, our, our justice system, when it comes to kids, 
uh, very, very often they are tried as adults and then they are put in adult facilities. Mm-hmm. And it, it wasn't that way years and years ago. It, it absolutely wasn't. I've done some research on uh, juveniles in, in prison. We had juvenile courts and they went into facilities that were certainly more um, uh, amenable to their age. But mm-hmm. this is not what he experienced. And he's not alone. There are so many like That's him. right. So, um, yeah, incredible uh, experience. Uh, it's going to be wonderful to hear his, you know, his thoughts. Um, I know you're going to be with us for the next few podcasts, although next, uh, next week uh, Jeff will be our guest and then the both of you will be speaking together. Um, do you, we do have uh, about, well, we have, we have some time to spare here. Um, do you want to talk about um, uh, the difference between uh, dealing with a, a, a short and a full-length film? And when we say full-length, how, how long would the full-length film possibly be? So we're looking at about 90 minutes right now, but it can be anywhere from 90 minutes, two hours, you know, even mm-hmm. longer sometimes, um, which uh, I'm not going to do that, but I'm hoping around 90 minutes. Uh, it's almost finished. So we're almost there. Oh, it's boy. just a matter of getting these few last shots once things start to open up, once this whole pandemic and quarantine stuff gets under control in the prisons and uh, traveling on airplanes. There's one woman, uh, Claudia, who is in uh, Colorado and she was instrumental in helping Jeff get out. And so I need to interview her and I haven't been able to get on a plane to interview her. Uh, so there's just these few few last uh, interviews to do. And then I'm hoping we'll have about a 90 minute, 90 minute film. And I'm really excited to get that out. I know Jeff is as well. That's terrific. And, and once that um, full length documentary is finished, uh, what, what happens then after it's all completely in the so they say. <laughs> we have two options. We can either uh, go the film festival route again mm-hmm. and put it through film festivals and then look for distribution to meet with uh, distributors to get it on Netflix or Amazon or where have you. Uh, so that's one way. Or we skip festivals and we work, work with a sales agent to try and go straight to a streaming platform. Um, so we'll see. Now that theaters are reopening, you know, the short was supposed to play in five theaters across uh, the states. And so the theaters got shut down two weeks before our premiere. And we were so bummed, Jeff and I, because we were going to get together in person and, you know, celebrate this thing. And uh, we didn't get to do that. So maybe theaters, if we can, for the for the feature. So it's kind of up in the air. You have to finish the film and then see who's interested and then see um, like we had we were in talks with Vice for a little while. So it depends on who you go with and where their platform lives. Will it go straight to streaming? Would it be on TV? Would it be in a theater and so on? Is there an opportunity? Because um, I, I, m- one of my favorite genres definitely are uh, documentaries. Um, Mine too. Is, <laughs> uh, is there an opportunity to go to maybe um, an art theater and then after the film, you and Jeff uh, be there for questions uh, from the audience? Yes, all of the all of the um, theatrical uh, releases we were going to do with the short all had the Q&A afterwards. It was an event. And that's why we were so excited for it, too, because it would be a great opportunity to 
talk to the people who just watched the film and, you know, meet people. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There'll be opportunity to do that. That's terrific. Because I think when you have the person who is featured in the film, Jeffrey, of course, um, there probably are so many questions that the audience has that are not answered in, in the film. And this way um, they can ask him directly. And, and as you say, he's, he's very comfortable um, you know, answering questions, which is really, really nice. Um, yes. Uh, I'm trying to think, uh, is there anything uh, additionally, we, we have uh, we have about five minutes. Is there anything else about, maybe um, would you like to share some of the things that you learned in film school? Uh, yeah, sure. And how that relates to your, uh, your documentary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, going back to something you just said about uh, the Q&As and how people would really like to talk to Jeff <clears throat> or ask him questions, you know, after they watch the film, that, that is so, so true. It's really interesting because the film really focuses, as you know, on reintegration and how Jeff really, how an innocent person deals with being incarcerated and then having to deal with their everyday life once they're allowed back into society. And But they're put back into society with no resources, no money, where do they go? They've been absent from this world for, in Jeff's case, 16 years. And Jeff talks about this in the film, but you know, there was no uh, social media and he didn't know how to do so many things. And so how do they step out of prison and now even attempt to get a job or, and so those are the really interesting questions we've gotten when we've done Q and A's via Zoom, when we've done screenings via Zoom, when everything's shut down. Uh, it's really, really interesting because the film only touches on this little, little part of Jeff's story. And it's really after he got out of prison and what he did immediately after, and then how he went on um, to, to, you know, help other people who've been wrongfully convicted. So there's so many questions people have when we do these, these screenings, because the film only talks about this short little segment of his life. Right, so right. the Q and A's are fascinating. I, we did a bunch of screenings for universities and some of the questions I got from the students after the Q and A's were some of the questions I incorporated in the feature film, mm. because they were such thoughtful, such great questions. So anyways, it's just, it's so wonderful to be able to do those, those right. Q and A's. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Any, anything that in your uh, time at the Academy that stands out that like a particular thing that you learn that you now always keep with you? You know, uh, the, the, um, the program director, the documentary program director at New York Film Academy said that when you're editing a film, really good films are edited in a way where you look at every scene like a guest at a party. You want hmm. the guest to, to come fashionably late and leave <laughs> a little bit earlier on time. They don't linger around afterwards. <laughs> and so great. she said, when you're editing your footage, you know, don't put in all the fluff that's before and after the point you're trying to make. She said, look at every scene and get to the point you're trying to make and arrive fashionably late, cut off any extra words, and then end it a little bit early. There should be a little bit of suspense. There should be a little bit of leaving people wonder. You just don't leave in all the other jargon that that people uh, you know people talk so naturally you got to cut all that out and really get to the point and I always remember that when I'm editing because it was such a good little that, tip that's a great tip and maybe um 
in a sense, leaving people wanting more kind of yes. thing. Yeah, yes. Yes. What she might've been saying. All right. Yeah. Well, this, this has been wonderful. You've opened up our, our topic um, and it, it's going to be great to have Jeff come, come by next week. Um, I really appreciate your time that you took today. Uh, and then um, we will meet Jeffrey and then have you both here in a couple of weeks so that we can talk more about um, some of the tremendous hurdles that he had to deal with uh, as a, you know, as a teen and coming out as a, not a teenager anymore, you know, someone who really uh, was part of the prison system. So thank you, Gia, so very, very much. And we will see you in two weeks, right? Thank you, Harriet. Yes. And I look forward to it so much. That's great. Thanks again. All right. See you soon. And please stay with us, uh, listeners, for this series that we are doing on Jeffrey Deskovic and his uh, time in prison and Gia as a filmmaker. Thanks for listening today.